Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Peter comes to Jesus and he asks a very pertinent question, one that we all struggle with. How much do I have to forgive? How many times does my brother have to sin against me and I need to forgive him? Where's the line in the sand? At what point can I call it quits on this whole forgiving thing and be justified? Now, to be fair, in Peter's day in the Jewish rabbinic tradition, uh, the general rule was that if somebody sinned against you three times, you had to forgive them those three times. After that, it was fair game. You were free to retaliate. And so when Peter says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? He's actually, he thinks he's being quite generous. Uh, this is over twice what everyone else is doing. And, and it seems like a big deal because that would mean you would have to forgive someone once every day of the week. Jesus responds, I tell you not seven times, but as many as 77 times, or as uh, the, 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 the Greek uh, here is ambival- uh, a little ambivalent, and uh, it, it can mean uh, 70 times seven, as some translations say. Uh, so the point is not 490 times, uh, but seven times the point of utter completeness. I mean, when you reach uh, 395, who's counting anyway? And so what Jesus is teaching is that when it comes to God, no matter what we do, no matter how many times we do it, we have been completely, completely forgiven. And isn't this great news? Yes, absolutely it is great news. At least until forgiveness becomes no longer hypothetical. And I have to apply it in my own life. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a terrible accountant. Uh, In our family, I stay as far away from all the money issues as I possibly can. Uh, But when it comes to sin, man, I am an amazing bookkeeper. I can count exactly all the times I've been slighted. I keep track of all the times everyone said or did something against me. Maybe passively, aggressively reminding them of the last time they did something against me or, or didn't do something for me. And I become addicted to this feeling of authority, of holding someone's sins against them because it makes me feel just a little bit better about myself. And so I become trapped in this toxic loop and I, I begin to wonder all the ways that, uh, and consider and, and remind myself of all the ways that I've been hurt, uh, replaying them in my mind. And I begin to imagine all the ways that I just might be hurt in the future. I don't just hold someone's past sins against them. I hold their future potential sins against them. And you know what? I'm going to defriend them on Facebook right after the service. But seriously, think about the person whom you just can't forgive. Maybe it's your sister. Maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a business partner, 
Maybe it was a kid in grade school that, 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 that hurt you. Man, that wound cut deep. Think about them right now. Picture them in your life, the person in your life who did you wrong, and picture them totally, completely forgiven. But on our own, we, we hate to do this. Because we think that our, our own sin doesn't actually cost anything. It doesn't matter. Until, of course, someone sins against me. Then it has cost. Then someone's got to pay. We think in terms of how it affects me. But my sin has real cost, just as someone else's sin against me has cost. And it has ripple effect. When we sin, we're like uh, King David, uh, who when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, tried to cover it up with more sin, and more sin, and more sin. And just think of when we're angry with someone. Now, how many people do we tell that we're angry with that person? And how many more people are we entangling in not just that other person's sin now, but my own sin? And all the while, we're plowing people over and leaving them in the dirt because of our attempts to cover up our sin. And each person we plow over is not only a sin against that person, but a sin against God. And so by the end of a single day, maybe we've only slighted a person here, done a little harm to a person over here, done maybe something kind of bad to this person over here, but we have a mountain of debt against God after a single day. So Jesus tells a parable for Peter and us who don't like to count, who don't like to forgive. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, I told you I'm bad at accounting, but thankfully there are other men who are much smarter than I, have, than I am that have done the math on this, and they figured out how much a talent is in today's money. Uh, in the ancient world, on the high end, it costs one talent to build a trireme in Athens, in ancient Greece. Uh, a trireme was the, the battleship of that day, right? So in our day, a single Iowa-class battleship uh, costs $100 million. That's one talent. A battleship is one talent. This guy owes 10,000 talents. So multiply that 100 million by 10,000. If the math is right, that's $1 trillion. Elon Musk, the richest person alive now, is only worth $220 billion. So this is an impossible number to pay back. Uh, and actually, there's no way you can even be so foolish and wasteful to even accumulate this much debt or to borrow this in the first place, unless, of course, your name is the U.S. government. Uh, but anyway, this is way worse than the prodigal son. This is a picture, however, of the debt of our sin. This is so crazily stupidly large, literally. And our sin actually costs something. That's why the old verbiage in the Lord's Prayer was, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so with this mountain of debt, with this servant falls down before the king, and notice he doesn't ask for forgiveness. He, he begs his master to do what? To give him more time. He could pay it back. No, he can't. 
And the king knows this. And so the king doesn't have patience with him. He has something better. Compassion. Mercy. Out of his compassion for the servant, the king forgives 100% of the debt. The debt which would cost the man his life, along with that of his wife and his children. He didn't give this man patience. He gave him mercy. And God has done the same for us. He's forgiven everything, even before we could ask for it. And our sin did cost God something. God didn't just wave his arms and say, ah, well, it doesn't matter. Your sin doesn't matter. Uh, Or make a deal with us and say, try harder. I'll have patience with you. Just try harder tomorrow. I'm sure it'll go better tomorrow. He actually had to settle the debt. And he himself paid for it, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of his own son. We are redeemed that is brought back, not with gold or silver, but with Christ's holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. God's son traded places with us, with me, and with my, my wife and children. Our mountain of debt, uh, of, of, of sin, was paid on the mountain of Calvary. And this is now why we are to forgive others. Because we've been forgiven. It's not as if we have to muster up some, some feeling of goodwill towards another person. It's not as if we have to conjure up some good emotion from an empty well. Forgiveness is not something that we create. It's not something we create. We simply offer the same gift, the forgiveness, the same forgiveness that we ourselves have already received. And man, do we have a deep well from which to draw. But again, we do like the servant. The servant turns around and immediately he, he goes looking for someone else who owes him money. He, he doesn't just find him on the street. He goes looking for the man. And he begins choking him and he orders him to pay and then he throws him in jail when he can't pay what he owed. And what did this man owe? He owes 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii, 100 denarii is about three months' wages. So it's not an insignificant sum. It's not a small sum, but it is entirely possible to pay back with time, unlike the other debt the man had. And this, it's normal for people in the United States to borrow uh, uh, ten times that much, right? Uh, two and a half times an annual income to, to take out a mortgage on a home. They could pay, pay it back with interest over 15 or 20 years. So it's not impossible, but it's significant. But again, this is only significant if you think in terms of what men, of what I can do. But if you think in terms of of what this man has already been forgiven, it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket, a drop in the ocean. And so the master, angry, the king angry upon hearing what this guy has done, handed this man over to the jailers until he could pay back everything he owed, which of course he never will be able to do. Jesus then adds this warning. This is what my Heavenly Father will also do to you unless each one of you forgives his brother from his heart. 
God abhors a lack of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the heart, the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of the gospel, the gift of Jesus. And to reject this forgiveness is to reject God. To turn around and refuse to forgive my neighbor, to hold his sin against him, even though I've already been forgiven, or to turn around and continue to, to sin on my own, to continue to be in sin, uh, using God's forgiveness as a license to continue in that sin, uh, for me to do whatever I want, is, uh, shows that I actually don't trust God's forgiveness to me. shows that I don't want it. I don't care for it. I don't believe in the redemption that bought, back, uh, bought me back from my sins. And so then, in the end, because I don't trust God to take care of my debt, I take it back on my own. And it's my responsibility to pay it. And God will do to us, like the master did to the wicked, unforgiving servant. Hand us over to the jailer, the devil, with a bail we will never be able to pay. A sainted professor once said, the only way your sin can harm you, the only way your sins can ever hurt you, is if you take them back. Once forgiveness becomes no longer merely hypothetical, we realize just how much we are like, or at least I am like, your pastor, at least how much I am like, the unforgiving servant. And so I need this forgiveness just as much as someone who sins against me. Forgiving is hard for us because we are sinners. Living in forgiveness is not a transaction. God doesn't cut a deal with us and, and say to us, ah, tomorrow's a new day, you'll do better tomorrow. Living in forgiveness is not a work of the law. God is not a bookkeeper, an accountant keeping track of all my pathetic and half-hearted apologies, and neither is he keeping record of all my failures at forgiving. Every sin has been forgiven. Every sin. Each and every one of your sins has been forgiven. And so living in forgiveness, first of all, means to repent. Because we're sinners. And then to believe that all of my sins, even the sins against me, have been taken up into the wounds of Christ. And not only that, but, but by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, all the evil, even the evil someone does against me, will be turned into good for those who love God. Even the evil someone does against me will be turned into good. And so that means I don't have to get even with someone, because even the evil done against me, God will make right. Forgiveness doesn't mean a second chance. It means all things are new completely restored. And so living in forgiveness is believing the words of the gospel spoken to you whenever you are here and you are absolved of your sins. Whether publicly in divine service or in private absolution. That's why Luther encourages us making the sign of the cross. Because you get to apply it physically to yourself. You're applying that forgiveness given to you in baptism, to yourself. 
And having applied it to yourself, having received it, we now have something to give. Living in forgiveness is receiving the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood for the forgiveness of all your sins. Believing that his holy body and blood has made complete satisfaction for all your sins and that will strengthen you now to forgive as you have been forgiven. You're not offering your goodwill to someone when you forgive. You're offering the goodwill of God, the same will God has toward you, the peace of God, which you have taken up into your hands, into your mouth, and into your very heart. Living in forgiveness is, first of all, being forgiven. And then forgiving others. Living in forgiveness is the life of faith. So today, before you come to the altar, I want you to lay aside all of your resentments. I want you to lay aside all of your anger. I want you to lay aside all the debts that you are carrying around with you. And as you receive the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood, know that your resentment, anger, and debts are forgiven. I want you to know that you, because of Jesus, are forgiven. You've been forgiven not just three times, not just seven times, not 77 times, but over and over, universally and, and forever. You are forgiven, freed from your debt, and restored. In Jesus' name, amen.